0: Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. One of your co hosts, Chris Gasparry. This is Frank Pelican. The date is May 31st, 2019, and tonight we are going to be covering the top five horror B movies of 1984. Frank, we are halfway through this list right now 80, 81, 82, 83, right. 84. <clears throat> so I saw you thinking.
1: <clears throat> I was doing some math.
0: Right. <clears throat> I always think it's 85 is halfway through, and then I realize I'm wrong. But no, this is it. This is halfway through. Um, Much to pretty, your pleasure, I assume. Eh, it's it's getting better, Frank. It's getting better. <laughs> it's getting easier, I shouldn't say better. It's getting easier. That could just be through my own exhaustion, or it could be through <clears throat> the movies actually being right. better. Way to sell it. <laughs> so, uh, I just wanted to make a couple of quick admin notes before we get started tonight. I think I mistakenly said a week ago, or two weeks ago, that... We will be doing the top five docudramas list uh, the first week of June, but we're actually going to be doing that June 14th, and then we'll just be running straight through from the 14th on through the rest of June 14th, 21st, 28th um, for those podcasts. Please remember if um, we're always looking for other people's lists other than what we develop. Um, so you can email us at guys 5 movies at gmail.com You can also contact us on Facebook, um, as well. So, Frank, getting into this list tonight, was there anything in 1984 that didn't make your top five that would have possibly been in consideration?
1: Uh, Children of the Corn was close, I think. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, but it's okay. Um, a movie called Too Scared to Scream. It's like a Tony Lobianka movie with I think a really early performance from Ian McShane, hmm. which is an indie horror movie. It's a slasher movie, but it's 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 pretty decent, pretty well done. Um there's a couple others, like the initiation I thought about maybe, but um the five that made it are what I think are the five best. Like I, I like Children of the Corn, but I just don't think it's like I don't know if there's anything special about Children of the Corn except from like a nostalgia
0: point of view. Yeah, I think that's probably where it comes from for me, is nostalgia.
1: I mean it's good. Like it's it's a fine movie. It's a good horror movie. There's also some weird stuff like Gremlins is 84 and I had to think for a little bit like do I consider Gremlins
0: a horror movie? Um, I definitely consider it a horror movie. It's a horror comedy. It is, but
1: I don't know that I consider it like an indie
0: uh, at all. That I agree like, with. Like there's yeah. nothing
1: like no. B and that argument can be made about some stuff that's been on the list before, but like especially with Gremlins, and because Gremlins is so was so popular and so like omnipresent in our youth.
0: Sure, and didn't Spielberg produce it? Eh, I think that's right. I think anything by that point in time that Spielberg produces can't be if it falls under the same criteria as a uh, poltergeist. right? So yeah, so yeah, I don't think you can count it. But okay, um, what do you think is going on? before we get into this list I think I asked you this maybe last month or maybe it was two months ago but what do you think is changing around this time in the 1980s if anything about these horror movies
1: so there's less of a return on slasher movies mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot more creativity that's being put into the horror element of things um I think all five movies on this list have like an interesting or unique element to them that really hasn't been in a lot of horror movies up to this point. Um, or it's done in an interesting way, I should say. Um, I think that you're starting to see a more talented, I don't know, like caliber of director, Hmm. like direct horror movies.
0: Um, why do you think that is you think it's like a viable genre suddenly or no honestly I think it's it's viable in the
1: sense that it'll make money and I think a lot of people coming out of film school or like trying to finance other things will go to horror because it's a quick way to make a return on your investment Um, and also be seen I guess as like a profitable director Um I don't know I think there's also a lot more social commentary like I think all of these movies have that element to them in a way sure um and I don't know I mean again like I think like people see something like Friday the 13th or you know any of those kind of movies can make such a huge return on investment that they you know anytime that happens where you know there's something that makes a lot of money. Other people want to jump on and do the same thing. So I think that's part of it. And I think it's just easy to make horror movies. I mean, you're filling, you don't have to have a huge budget. Like most of these movies are relatively low budget. I would imagine. Um, one of them in particular, probably like almost no budget, honestly. And, um, able to get them right out, like into like the grindhouse theaters and like direct to video, which I think is another big thing. Um, that kind of pushes the horror genre over this like next like five or six years of the decade is being able to just immediately release it into a video store. And, you know, in, instead of like having to wait for box office revenue, like you're just immediately getting like the rental sales, you know, selling like the copies to video stores and the chains and being able to like, you know, kind of turn your profit that way. So I don't know. Okay.
0: So let's go ahead and jump into the list then. And we'll start with that. No budget movie first. So, number five on the list is The Toxic Avenger. Uh, is directed by Michael Hurst, Samuel Weil, and stars Mitchell Cohen as The Toxic Avenger. It has a 70% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 63% from audiences. If you want to tell people a little bit about this movie and what you like about it so much?
1: So, first of all, Samuel Weil is Lloyd Kaufman. Hertz, oh, okay. Hurst is, is that his? Yes. Yeah, that's his pseudonym. Gotcha. Um, the founders, you know, in right. primary creative yeah. forces early on of Troma. Um, so for people who don't know what Troma is, um, because I don't know how prevalent Trauma is anymore. Like I don't even, I don't know the last time I saw like a new Trauma movie, but. Tromeo and Juliet, maybe. I think there's been stuff after that, but yeah, that might be, I mean, that's like. Well, James you
0: know, Gunn did a different, another movie under Trauma after that, right? One or two.
1: Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, But in my childhood, like when we were young, Troma was like the, almost like how Hammer Films was the British, like, house of horror in the 70s. Troma is the house of, like, weird, subversive, gross-out horror movies for the entirety of the 1980s. Um, And in kind of the same way that, you know, Roger Corman would take chances on directors who were unproven, Mm -hmm. Kaufman and Hertz would give chances to people who had little to no experience. Um, and let them make movies and come in and be part of their movies. Uh, so very low budget, a lot of like, they don't really film on sets. They kind of just film in places that they find. And you can tell that from watching the movies. Um, and this is like, in my opinion, the first really big, well-known trauma movie that spawned multiple sequels and a cartoon series, ironically enough, in the 1990s, which is really weird. So the Toxic Avenger, um is Melvin Ferd is this janitor at a I don't know spa slash um, gym where all the beautiful like I don't know attractive people like work out who are all a bunch of psychopathic assholes too um he's ugly and weak and small and gets picked on um and through an accident um falls into a vat of toxic waste and gets transformed into a muscular, powerful, but hideously deformed creature. Um, so the city that he lives in, uh, Tromaville is where it takes place, um, which is set in New Jersey. I like fun, like, which is pretty funny, um, is beset by crime and gangs and people murdering like small children and grandmothers. And it's just a terrible place. So, the toxic Avenger Toxie um, starts to fight crime like as a vigilante starts to kill like these criminals and, you know, s- turn the tide back in favor of the good people of Tromaville um, falls into a relationship with a blind woman who loves him because she can't see who he is, which I guess is in some way like, I don't know, it's supposed to be touching or like mm-hmm. it's about what's inside you that matters. Right. Even though Toxie is honestly like a psychopath in his own right, just a murderer. Sure. Um, I mean, it's it's very obviously a low budget movie. Um, the most, I guess, care is put into the Toxie costume itself, mm-hmm. um, with the the pustules and the boils and the green skin, and um, it's not a great movie. You know, like, it's not <clears throat> necessarily well-directed. Um, no, it's not. Very utilitarian in terms of just, like, the camera setup, things happen, there's a bunch of low angles, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's it's typical, like, low-budget horror from the time, but it's a lot of fun. Um, the Toxy character is... Pretty iconic, I think, for the 1980s. Like, out of all the, I don't know, like, monsters that came out of that time. Like, one of the more recognizable ones. And interesting because he's the hero of the movie. Like, the villains, like, the real monsters are just people. Right. Um, A really fun riff on the whole, like, you know, I mean, superhero comics were really popular. um, And most superheroes got their powers through like accidents he had like the Hulk and Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four who all got their powers through some sort of like irradiation like whatever like Spider-Man got bit by a radioactive spider the Fantastic Four go through like the gamma rays Hulk gets bathed in or cosmic rays Hulk is gamma rays Um, and like to have that like be his superhero origin but have it be this really kind of like crass low budget vulgar you know, nudity for no reason, just, like, profanity and, like, crazy, like, bloody deaths. It's... I don't know. It's 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 a pretty... And in my opinion, it's a pretty cool, like, homage slash parody of superheroes. And... Really, like, really is a superhero movie, even though the horror elements are more about, like, the murders and, like, watching people get, like, graphically killed on screen. So... And I love, like... I, I know that we disagree on this and we have a friend who's super into like trauma and the low budget horror. Mm-hmm. And I have a real appreciation for trauma and what they did mm-hmm. just because it was what I, you know, go and rent movies every weekend. And there was a good chance you were going to rent like a trauma movie um, at some point, at least like once or twice. And they've done some really good stuff. Like I love surf Nazis must die. Um, Class of Nukem high, like all really good movies really fun movies not really good movies Mm -hmm. Um, and Toxic Avenger is a good example of that so this is like this is the true nostalgia pick on this list for me is Toxic Avenger because honestly like it's not as good a movie as Children of the Corn but I just enjoy it more
0: yeah I think you misunderstand I I actually really respect Lloyd Kaufman and Troma a lot it's just that in rewatching this again even though I watched parts of it what was it, two or three years ago? I guess, or something like that. Like, um, I still think this is fun at times, and I think I think there's parts of it that are hilarious, especially with the uh, with the with the punks, like the the, the or whatever the jocks that are the bad guys of the movie. Like the the extent that the scenes go to make them as big of heels as they are like, running over children right, and punching old women in the stomach. It's, <laughs> right. like, I mean, it's it's really hysterical, like, for as awful as it is, like, the, the links they go to make them the bad guys. So, I think that's sh- that shit's hilarious. Like, I think that there's a lot of stuff that's, like, really funny in it. Um, there's a lot of bathroom humor that shows up in trauma movies, which is probably, like, my least favorite aspect of a lot of them. Um, this has a little bit of that at times and um but I really respect the the effort, like what they're trying to do, like with so little money. And I've what was Kaufman's like he's had a couple books, but like what was the big one, do you remember? I don't know what it was called. I, I read that I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And from a philosophical standpoint like about making these films like I, I respect the guy a lot and so I, I certainly respect what they were doing and I actually do like uh, Class of Nukem High um, right not a good movie but I, I actually enjoy that one probably yeah, the it's most out of, out of all of them um, besides I think Tromeo and Juliet which is much later like in the what late 90s I think yes um, it's one of James Gunn's first movies that he wrote <clears throat> but <laughs> narrated by Lemmy from Motorhead yeah right <laughs> Yes um, that's, that, that, that borders on being a good movie Despite how awful and ridiculous it is um, I just think that I have the same reaction To these movies as I do John Waters movies And, and, and very similar in, this, in the sense that I really respect John Waters a lot but a lot of his movies just there's something visceral about it. When I'm watching them, right, it just rubs me the wrong way and it makes me uncomfortable as I'm watching them to some degree. I mean, Toxic Avenger
1: feels dirty, and the yeah. characters all like Cigar is a disgusting villain. And the one of my favorite parts of the movie is the end where. The national guards there to kill Toxie, and the mayor's like convinced him that he's a threat, and like the townspeople are all on Toxie's side, and it's like, oh well, you know, they could just arrest the mayor, and he rips his guts out of his stomach. Yeah. Like that's right. It's like so unnecessary, yeah. and it just I don't right. know, it makes me laugh every time I see it. Like I, right. I I don't know, I have a lot of fun watching Toxic Avenger. Yeah, and I've probably seen Toxic Avenger like seven or eight times in my life, which is
0: saying something for a. Yeah. For a low-budget horror movie? I can't remember how long this movie is. It's under an hour or 30, right? It's like under 90 minutes, I think. It's pretty short. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think one of the things with this movie, and it's a problem that I have with a lot of movies. We were actually talking about this oddly like last night about something completely different. But it's like once I get the joke it's hard for me to keep paying attention if it's just going to kind of be the same joke over and over. Right. So I tend to lose interest and I enjoyed it more this time watching it than I have in a long time, but it kind of feels like this meets that criteria for me. It's where I I got the joke 20 minutes in and now it's like 25 minutes in and, and now it's like, right. I understand. It's just the same joke over and over kind of at that point. I guess I just enjoyed that joke. Sure enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine joke. Um, yeah But uh, Yes I, I I thought this Rewatching it again I liked it better than I have in the past But um
1: Yeah I don't know if any other Truman movies show up on our list I mean I can't imagine they won't Cause I really like some of those movies But who
0: knows Right Depending on the year Yeah I mean there's a lot of stuff that, I mean <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff upcoming that Who knows Yeah Okay Anything else about
1: this movie? No Um If you don't mind like gross out Physical humor, you know, mm-hmm. especially in terms of, like, seeing people, like, murdered. Right. Um, If you can laugh at that kind of stuff, like, that kind of black humor almost, I guess. It, it's, it's worth watching. I mean, it's, like, 80 minutes long. It's not going to take up much of your
0: life. Right. Is it free anywhere? Um. No, I think I had to run it okay. through Google. I'm pretty it used sure. to be free somewhere. It was free on Amazon Prime for a while. Yeah. If you're a Prime member. But, um. I think I had to run it this time Hmm. because nothing can be consistent anymore about any streaming service whatsoever about what's up and what's not. So you just got to watch everything you can when you see it. (laughs) Yeah. It's good advice. That's what I do. Um, Okay. You want to move on to number four then? Sure. All right. Before we move on to number four, we actually do have another guest on the podcast tonight, which is my dog, Olive um so when you hear like loud chewing that's not like that's not frank or i like sitting here um like eating or anything on the podcast that's her with her bone um which at least she's not inadvertently knocking over the microphone like she did 10 minutes ago right uh okay so number four on your list is the company of wolves directed by neil jordan Starring Angela Lansbury, David Warner, and Stephen Ray, which might be the classiest list of names that we get on any of these B-Horror movies. Tarr- and Terrence yeah, Stamp, good yeah. job, yeah. Yeah, that's probably definitely going to be the classiest list of names we get on any of these B-Horror movies. It has a 77% from Rotten Tomatoes and a 73% from audiences. You want to explain a little bit about the structure of this movie, what it's about, and what you like about it so much? Um.
1: So... Based on a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood by a um, feminist author named Angela Carter. Um, it starts with a young girl who's despised by her sister, and it sort of seems like annoying to her parents, like dreaming in her bed. And she dreams this fantastical land, like almost fairy tale land in the woods, um, where her sister gets mutilated by a group of wolves when she goes out into the forest. Um, she has to stay with her grandmother after the funeral and her grandmother tells her stories about men disguised as wolves and how you have to be careful around strangers. And that's, there's a series of vignettes that are based on like these stories that she's being mm-hmm. told. Um, eventually she goes to her grandmother's house. I mean, it's a little red riding hood. So she's going to her grandmother's mm-hmm. house and meets a, A handsome man in the woods Um Who sort of Like sort of sexually accosts her But not really and then Makes a bet with her that he can get to grandma's House before she can Um and With his prize being a kiss Um He gets to the grandmother's house and you know Like in the story murders Angela Lansbury Um Whose head shatters into like a Bunch of ceramic pieces for some reason. hmm Um. The girl, like, immediately figures out that he's murdered her grandmother. Um. She ends up shooting him inadvertently, and he transforms into a wolf, and then she kind of takes pity on him for being a wolf, and tends to his wounds, and then she becomes a wolf herself, and they run off into the woods. And then she wakes up in the real world again to have the wolves, like, crash through into the real world after Um. And that's 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 the movie, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh what I like about it, because you're not, not a fan of it, so I'm gonna have to carry I tried
0: to affect the yawn and it didn't work very well, it wasn't loud enough. Right. <clears throat> um
1: <laughs> It's a beautiful movie. It is. Um I like I'm a fan of anthology movies, and even though I don't think of this as an anthology, it sort of feels like one just because it is told in a series of vignettes about the dangers of... Sort of like there's the older perspective of Angela Lansbury as a grandmother trying to warn her, you know, teenage granddaughter away from, like, men, basically. Mm -hmm. That, like, men are animals, men will take advantage of you, men hide their true natures to get close to you, and then, you know, will betray you or will show their whatever their animalistic instincts will come out. Um, She sort of sees it a different way. Like when she's the one telling the stories, the stories are much more about like sort of like exploring and kind of accepting those things. Um, I mean, it's, it's at its base. again, just like a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood, but it really is about like, that everyone has animalistic like parts to themselves and that's just a part of being like a person is having those things and you shouldn't try and like shame people or hide the fact that you have them you need to like embrace that part of yourself and you know that it's just a natural like being like a sexual being is a natural part of being alive kind of Um I love the way it's filmed like I love the setting. I like the dreaminess of it like including this almost like anachronistic part where um Terence Stamp comes in in like a uh, Bentley or whatever and is the devil and offers the guy at the crossroads like the potion that'll transform him into a werewolf which then he gets like enveloped in vines which I don't know if I necessarily understand unless like the vines are kind of the like maybe the representation of like the woman I I don't know I don't I don't know what that yeah. means Um, but Terrence Stamp, just like looking all classy and David Warner is pretty good in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Lansbury does a good job as like the overbearing and overly cautious grandmother. Um, Stephen Ray is in it really briefly, like as almost as briefly as Terrence Stamp because Terrence Stamp's like two minutes of that movie. Um, you know, playing like a werewolf himself that disappears on the wedding night to his wife and comes back as like a bedraggled, like, haggard, like, wolfman kind yeah. of thing. Has some pretty decent special effects for 1984. Like, <clears throat> not as impressive a werewolf transformations as um something like American Werewolf in Paris, but on a much lower budget. And honestly, like, I think... I don't know. Like, I, I like them just as much. Um, One of the more horrific is when Stephen Ray is transforming into the wolf and like basically peels all of his skin off first and is standing there it's just like musculature I mean that's oh, almost oh
0: yeah it's amazing yeah that's really good That
1: that's almost as uncomfortable to me as that scene in Hell the first Hellraiser movie when oh, it's like yeah. the same thing happens when the guy's just I've all like Hellraiser scared the shit out of me muscle of and kids. sinew yeah. and uh huh blood and stuff you yeah, it's it's yeah. it's really uncomfortable to see that and i like that a lot
0: yeah i do too
1: um it seems like that that are actually the only reason why i consider this a horror movie because honestly at its core it's not a horror movie it's more of like i don't know like a gender politics sociological fairy tale kind of thing um with the horror element because even like the transformations and the wolves are typically not the wolves, like, murdering people, like, in a right. traditional werewolf movie. Sure. It's just about, like, having, like, something else. The the, the the worst wolves are the ones that are hairy on the inside or whatever. So. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoy it. Like, I love watching it. <clears throat> I saw this movie for the first time when I was probably 15 or 16, like, after The Crying Game came out. Um, I just happened to, like, I, I liked Crying Game and I wanted to see more stuff by Neil Jordan and I saw this and I was like oh it's a horror movie like it's got to be great and I was really impressed with it as a kid and I've also have a lot of affection for Carter and her writing like I like her short stories and the couple novels I've read of her so that also kind of endears me to this movie
0: yeah so um I couldn't really find any what I would call significant criticism of this movie, um, a lot of it is uh, like everything I found. Even the positives, it's like they're like three out of fives. Like so, it's like it has a seventy-seven percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's like, like it was, it's all like three out of fives. Maybe here four out of five. All the negative reviews were like two, two point five out of five. It, like nobody really, it seemed like hated this movie necessarily. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think it's hard to hate. Yeah, I mean, even I don't hate it, even though I didn't care for it that much. Like my my criticism was that one, I think it's a pretty bare bones story, which I find kind of dull. Um, my other complaint was because I didn't watch this as a child, seeing it in two thousand and nineteen, I thought that the so you've never seen this
1: movie before? No, oh okay, uh-uh.
0: no, I've never seen this before in my life. I've That's seen. Other werewolf movies, but I've never seen this. Although I think I like the werewolf stuff, the special effects in this much better than I do um, any of the other movies. Maybe, hmm. which especially the trans- the first transformation, um, like where it's like, yeah, I, I. Well, so maybe that's because there's not
1: the anthropomorphic middle part. Where it's the wolf man, which Mm -hmm. is usually what most werewolf movies go to. Is, like, that walks on two legs, you know, man-wolf creature. And this, it's like, they're a person, they transform, then they're just a wolf. Right. Like, running away into the woods, basically.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, There's some of that, though. Like, I mean, there's, like... Wolf's head's coming out of the dude's mouth. Right, uh, I mean, I mean as,
1: as they're transforming. Yeah. But it ends up with them just being like a wolf in the end. They don't try and have, like... Right, right
0: maybe. Maybe, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, maybe Maybe that's true, yeah. I just thought that the uh, the other thing that I thought was that I've mentioned to you, because we've probably talked about this movie more than anything else out of this list, is that the uh, subtext um, to this, I just thought having not watched it as a child and seeing it in 2019 is kind of just... Duh! Like sure, right. like absolutely. Like, I mean, got, I wouldn't... got it. You know, I mean, and maybe that's unfair. Like in some ways, because it's you know, it didn't matter. Well, I was get ready to say it mattered more than it does now. It still kind of matters now, especially right. probably in places like Georgia and Louisiana and stuff like that mm-hmm. right now. But um, I, but just watching it myself, like you know, I I just um, you know, I I was just kind of like bored by the story to some degree, and bored by the message, I guess, and despite that, I still think that it's a really well-directed, like, it's funny, um, we probably talk to each other too much, because my in my notes, I had... It has some pretty decent special effects for 1984 written down, like, in my notes, which mm. is exactly how you just worded it um, a minute ago. But I, I think that the special effects are really good. I think that the staging is really good. I, I like the atmosphere of the movie right. a lot. Like I, I, think- I
1: love that opening when it's like, it's like the transition from her dreaming in the real world into the dream. Yeah. Where there's, like, mm-hmm. the doll and the bear, or like alive and Mm -hmm. you know what it's very much like a sushi in the banshees video or something (laughs) like it's it's kind of pretentious it's like very dreamy um but i like that like i don't necessarily need like i don't know like a complex plot to really
0: enjoy a movie like yeah i I, I just ebert said of it um roger ebert said that that it was a uncanny hypnotic force we always know what is happening, but we rarely know why or how it connects with anything else or how we can escape from it or why it seems to correspond so deeply with our guilts and fears. Uh, that, of course, is also the definition of a nightmare. Um, and I thought that was pretty, right, I think pretty, that's pretty the, accurate to like what they were trying to go for. Yeah, I think that's the intent. And um, so looking at it through that lens, like I can respect it from a filmmaking standpoint, even if it wasn't like something that I can... Yeah and I just I, I, I like those
1: kind of things like, like I, I'll never
0: watch that movie ever again in my entire life like
1: I mean I haven't seen this movie in I own it on DVD so whenever I bought it on DVD like yeah. mid mid 2000s probably it's probably, probably been true. like 14 or 15 years right since yeah. I've seen this movie yeah but I still enjoyed it and again like I really like David Warner in it I really like yeah. Jared Stamp in it I like Angela Lansbury a lot in it so there's a lot of like small things that just I enjoy in watching it Okay.
0: Um, Want to move on to number three then? Sure. Okay. So number three on the list is Night of the Comet, directed by Tom Eberthart, starring Catherine Mary Stewart, Kelly Maroney, and Robert Beltran. It is a 77% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 57% from audiences. Really? Do you expect that to be higher? Yeah, a lot higher um i'm actually surprised that it's not
1: more reverse than that i don't know Mm. um
0: well
1: why i mean i love this i i think night of the comet's a lot of fun i think it's like this is the movie that i honestly feel is like the most obviously low budget film because it's like what do they what do they do i mean it's just the the dust and like they're in they're
0: in like the world You know, there's no, like, sets or anything. Right. So, because it's so fun, did you expect... That's why you expect the audience score to be higher? I mean, it's got two female protagonists that are both likable and
1: strong and Mm -hmm. capable people, which is odd for this time to have that happen. Um... I mean, it's post-apocalyptic, which usually tends to be kind of popular, in my opinion. Um... It's got kind of a fun, like, goofy, hopeful ending. Um, I
0: don't know. There's just... So, go ahead and tell them a little bit about the movie and, like... That's interesting that you think that you're so shocked by that. Right. It's just... So, I mean,
1: a lot of times, like, I can understand, like, why a movie is low on an audience scale. Um, so there's a comet that the Earth is going to pass through. It's, like, tail. Um... The same comet that caused the dinosaurs to go extinct, basically. Um, There's uh, Reggie and Sam, right, are the names of the girls. Mm -hmm. Um, Reggie's an 18-year-old, works in a movie theater. Her boyfriend's a projectionist. Uh, Sam is like a younger, kind of rebellious 16-year-old. Basically, the night that the comet passes through, there's like all these comet-watching parties and everybody's outside. And by happenstance, Reggie and Sam and Reggie's boyfriend are all in buildings that are lined with steel. So the next morning when they go outside, there's just red dust everywhere and like piles of clothes that are dust. Um, And then zombies that have been created like through passing through the comet. So they meet um, Reggie's boyfriend is like immediately killed by one of the zombies. Um, they meet another guy, uh, who wants to, like, they, they get on a radio and they find out there's like researchers that are still alive in this underground bunker. So they go there. Um, the researchers are nefarious and have also been exposed to the comet dust, but are using the blood of like people that weren't infected to keep themselves alive. Um, they end up getting away. And in the end, the rain like washes the dust away. And leaves the world pristine and new. And Reggie and... Fuck, I can't remember his name. What's the name? Hector. Hector. Um, Yes. Reggie and Hector end up together. Uh, Sam, like, almost gets run over by a car driven by this kid. um, Who Reggie was trying to, like, beat his high score in Tempest. uh, Earlier in the movie. Um, So basically it's just like, you know, the world is reborn and... Sort of like a Garden of Eden like type thing where I don't know. It's not like an uncommon like ending for movies like this. Right. I don't yeah. know. It's just so, like I
0: so, I. so you like that? There's so well, one of the things that this is noted for, like historically, is that it's um one its influence on Joss Whedon apparently, like that it ends up basically leading to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah. which ends up being one of, the, like, the, you know, first real female, like, you know, heroes, like, in movie television, like, right. in the in the 90s. And this ends up kind of influencing him. So you said you like the fact that it has two... Yeah, because usually... Strong you, female, or, well, well one strong so female. So, it's guess. not
1: uncommon in horror movies from, like, the mid-70s through this time period to have the final protagonist be a woman. I mean, that's a pretty common trope, you know, that... It's the virginal girl that, like, stands tall. But Reggie is not virginal. I mean, she... The only reason she lives is because she's having sex with her boyfriend in the projection booth, like, while the comic passes through. Mm -hmm. But they don't... She's not a... They don't make her a whore. They don't make her a joke. I mean, you know, a lot of times I think what directors would do is they would fall to, like, okay, well, Larry, the boyfriend, is going to be the one that protects him or Hector is the one protecting him. They they manage on their own. Like they survive on their own and they're both capable. I like the way it's written. Like I like the dialogue. I think that they're pretty likable characters. I don't know. It's just it's it's a refreshing number 1 I love post-apocalyptic movies. Like I like the idea of the world being like wiped away by this random like catastrophic catastrophic event. I mean, I don't, I don't like it, I guess necessarily, but it's 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 an interesting idea and it's a cool setting, and
0: I don't know. I think it's really well done. I think it's well directed. You with a controversial opinion of pro being pro apocalypse? Yeah, I'm pro apocalypse.
1: <laughs> I don't know how controversial that is. Um, but yeah, just I don't know. Like I, I would I would actually like like to see like what the audience, like, criticism is of the movie. I mean, maybe the it's audience.
0: Just, oh, I, I didn't think right. it was that controversial, so I didn't really look into the, what they said about it so much. Well, because it um, kind of...
1: Because usually with these movies, the audience score and the critic score are either right around each other or the audience score is a little higher, which to me makes sense, because I think that, like, most people watch horror movies just to have a good time and not necessar- not necessarily... because they're looking for some kind of, like, deeper meaning like a critic would be. Um and I, I like you said 77% for critics. Yeah. Like I think that's that's pretty appropriate. Like that's what I would grade this movie as.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that goes much lower like if you want the top critics I think it goes um a bit lower than 77. Um but even some top critics like I I'm trying to think of who um who was, was Canby I think was still doing the reviews then Canby actually gave it a positive review which shocked me. Um I would not expect Vincent Canby to Give it a positive review, and Ebert liked it. Ebert, I think, gave it like three out of yeah, four stars or something like that. Yeah, um, and that was the thing that they said is like that. Um, I remember Canby, Canby of all of them, said it was that ultimately, like, it was the fact that it was like, I, I'm paraphrasing him now, but it's like the fact that it was of good faith and fun was like allowed it to be something you could sit down and enjoy as opposed to, like, despite all of its obvious flaws in terms of budget and all those kind of things. Like, Like, as a
1: zombie movie, I feel like it's one of my favorite zombie movies from the 80s, because it doesn't fall into the same, like, stupid traps that most zombie movies fall into, which is like, oh, we're going to barricade ourselves in this house, and... Right. not, Not that that's stupid, necessarily, but it's like... It's just an interesting, like, different view on where these zombies come from. And, mm. like, showing, like, this is exactly why it happens, you know, and that they're going to just turn to dust eventually. Like, I don't know, there's... <clears throat> so,
0: um, Paul Antanasio from the Washington Post kind of claims that it's, like, missing an edge, the entire movie, uh, and says that Eberhardt comes out of TV after-school specials and the action sequences are TV-flat. Eberhart lacked either the know-how or the budget to give Night of the Comic the kind of special effects it needs, and it would have been nice, for example, to see the comet. That's a weird criticism, but um, it would also have been nice to see some acting. Maroney and Stewart, a Brooke Shields clone who has never looked lovelier, play off each other with the disconnected, pith-brain style of the soap operas they've graduated from. Uh, worse, neither the talented Beltran or uh, Mary Warrenoff uh, mm. is given anything to do. Um, so I can't imagine that's too different from too different from what audiences would say if I had to kind of guess. I would say that they think the acting is really bad, and I can't with some of those actors. I can't disagree um, at times, like necessarily. Like I mean, I, I can ignore. Some of that bad acting in a fun movie. But I can imagine that there's that. I actually don't think the movie looks that bad, considering. I mean, for being, like, no budget, I think it looks pretty good. Right.
1: That's why you don't see the comic, because they couldn't afford that shit. But they do it in a way where, like, because you have these two characters that are your central focus of the movie, Mm -hmm. like, you don't need to see the comic because it's not about... I mean, the whole movie's about that, but... That particular moment is not about that. It's about them. Sure. And like you have the same surprise reaction when they come out and there's nothing left. Right. Like that's
0: what it leads into. Like if you see the destruction of the comet, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, Right. I mean, and look like that's like in 2019, like that might be like a little hackneyed to some degree because we've seen it done so many times, but I can't think of a movie I've seen that does it before this. Like, where, like, you know, you, it, it takes, it tries to put you in the idea that it's, like, you don't know what happened. You wake up, and now the world's gone. Um, so, yeah, I think that works really well. It's, like, despite being filmed in pretty natural settings, most of the time, I think it looks really good. Like, the, I, the, the yeah. alleyway sequence, like, the when she, like, first finds her first zombie... Like, I think it's really well filmed, really Agreed. well done. I mean, uh, so I don't I don't really get, like, the TV. Like, do, do they have a couple things? Like, look, I could criticize if I really want to get down to, into it. I could criticize, like, things like the way they cut the close-ups at times and stuff like that is sure. jerky and amateurish at times, and it just doesn't look good because they don't have professional Hollywood continuity experts that are, like, sitting there, you know, like, making sure they capture the complete, like, movement of a hand so that you can get that on the medium shot and the close-up so it looks weird and jerky, like, because the the editing when you go from medium to close just isn't exactly the same. But they don't have people that are, like, you know, experts at that kind of stuff because of this budget. So I can forgive a little bit of those kind of things because I, I can just understand it. So, yeah, some of that's clunky, but I, to me it's not like, Christ, I mean... You look at things in 1984 on television that are trying to do action. This is certainly by, I don't know, leaps and bounds, but by leaps, it's better than that. I mean, T.J. Hooker is not doing great action sequences necessarily on, right. on television, you know? I mean, so <laughs> <T. J>. I, <laughs> I don't get, like, you know, the A team has some pretty bad, fil- like, you know, cinema, uh, like... Like cutting and cinematography at times for their action sequences, and like, so I, I I don't really get that complaint either. Um, I can see a little bit of the acting. I'm trying to think of what else.
1: Um, I mean, I love like the colors in the movie. Like, it reminds me a lot of the way that um Liquid Sky is shot. Honestly.
0: Yeah, I uh, know that's a. I can see that. Yeah, which that we talked about that in the uh, counterculture episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can absolutely see that. Some. Um. I think it just has a really good sense of, it's it's not a movie that takes itself seriously. And I think there's something to be said for that when movies it's taken itself seriously enough to tell like an effective story, I think, but it's not necessarily taking itself so seriously that it doesn't have a sense of humor.
1: Right, I agree with that. And Which is what I like about it. Like I just think it's fun to watch.
0: And actually now that I'm thinking about it, that's more specifically maybe is what can was going for rather than the idea of good faith. Um, but I think I'm just interpreting it that way. Yeah. But uh, I think that's probably more what he's going for is that it has some, some, some sense of self, uh, a sense of humor about itself. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I didn't go am. I, I wish I would have known that you were surprised by the audience reactions. Cause um, it's like
1: the first time where it's really like, sometimes you'll say it and I'll think like, really, that's yeah. weird. But the, this is like, that's really low to me.
0: Yeah, it's funny though. Um,
1: For a movie that I genuinely generally think is considered kind of a cult classic,
0: it is. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, yeah.
1: usually like that. I don't know. Whatever.
0: Huh. You can definitely see though, in terms of the um, that alleyway se- alley sequence when she encounters that first zombie. Yeah, it's like you can see all of Buffy in that sequence, like because I mean that's. That's... that was, I don't know how much you've read about Whedon and him coming up with the idea of Buffy. Nothing. Was, um... The idea was a girl, girl goes into an alley, like, that trope. And she ends up, like, kicking, like, you know, like, the thing's ass, like, when she goes into an alley. That was, like, the very first thought he had of Buffy. And it's like that's it, like, you know, and he's, and he has said that this is, like, a influence. Yeah, I have no idea about
1: that, that's interesting. I can kind of see it a little bit.
0: Yeah, so, uh, I think especially with, like, her kind of, like, riding, like, the motorcycle way and all that kind of stuff, I mean, yeah, I I definitely see, like, you know, that in this, in some regard, but, um, but yeah, no, I I enjoy this movie, and I, I didn't think I would, honestly, like, I thought I would, you know. I'm
1: surprised you. So you never seen this before either, Mm-mm. man. You weirdo. What were you doing in the '80s?
0: I don't know. I've seen. I've seen the next two though. Um, but any final thoughts on this though? No, like I just. I don't know. I think that. I
1: think you should give it a chance. Like if you, I. I just. I think it's a fun movie, and I. I really yeah. Enjoy watching it. Yeah, I think it
0: has a very '90s uh, sensibility to it for something that was done in 1984. Yeah. Like I think it's a little, a it's way it's, to a, put it. it's a little bit ahead of its time. I think in some ways, um, in terms of like I, I that sense of humor that it has about itself a little bit, like it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, um, like but that, that tongue is not firmly implanted in its cheek. It's just like a little bit and, um, yeah, and especially for like having like those female leads and stuff. There's, like There's
1: there's a movie that's going to be on I think the next list. I don't remember what year it came out. Mm-hmm that I feel is almost the spiritual successor to this movie hmm. and does better what this movie like establishes. But like, I feel like you can see like a definite like chain between the two. Hmm. Okay. And that movie is maybe my f- probably I don't know. It's like top five, like horror of the 1980s hmm. total for me.
0: Okay. All right. You ready to move on to number two? Yep. Okay. So number two on your list is Chud Directed by Douglas Cheek Starring John Hurd, Daniel Stern Christopher Curry and Kim Greist. Do you know what the Rotten Tomato scores are on this? No It is a 29% from critics And a 32% from audiences <laughs> Go ahead <laughs> number two on the list
1: i don't know why i, I don't i don't know how much from audiences 32 Whew. man i don't know what they're watching
0: i mean i think i did take notes on the audience scores of this because there are so so few uh, <clears throat> critic reviews how many, for how me man, to look at Right? how many critical reviews contribute to that how many? 29%, yeah. Um, I think it was like eight, maybe. But a lot of them were like horror websites and stuff like that. Nostalgia websites, where I think that the only... Somebody reviewed it. I think it was Canby, maybe. Um, somebody from the New York Times reviewed it. And maybe somebody from the Washington Post. But other than that, so it was pretty usually modern reviews, mostly. It, Chud is a lot of fun.
1: And it's not like, okay. So the premise of Chud is that um, George is this once prominent high fashion photographer that's sort of like given up his lucrative career to do more meaningful work. So he wants to like document the homeless in the city and his girlfriend, Lauren is still a model. Um, Lauren, right? Um, so, in the course of, like, photographing the homeless, they find out that there's, the homeless have been disappearing. Like, this guy, AJ, um, Daniel Stern's character, runs a homeless shelter, you know, is kind of concerned that the homeless people have been disappearing. There's also been, like you find out through the course of the movie, these attacks by these monsters who seem to come from the underground. Um, these deformed creatures. What you find out is that the government has been storing hazardous radioactive waste um, in the sewers, like they're transporting it through the sewers, <clears throat> which the homeless people have come in contact with and has mutated them and turned them into these cannibalistic underground creatures. Um, so the government's trying to maintain this cover-up um, so no one finds out, even though AJ wants to, like, the homeless shelter guy wants to reveal Um, their secrets, there's this, uh, police detective or police captain, Captain Bosch, who's trying to, you know, well, first of all, trying to figure out like where these disappearances are coming from and, um, the murders that have been happening. And eventually they sort of, the, the plan is to, seal the sewers and release gas to asphyxiate the chuds and kill them. Um, But they end up like beating the government guy and they all survive in the end. And so like number one I really like John Hurd as as George as the main character. I guess like one of the main characters of the movie because he is an asshole like Mm -hmm.
0: That's one of the things I like the most about this movie.
1: Yeah, like I, I like his caustic personality.
0: I like the fact that he's just kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, if I, had, like, if I had to guess, I think that's just John Heard. Oh, probably true. But yeah. I, I like how it. I like the fact that the main character is kind of a jerk. I really like the way the
1: Chuds look. Like I think that, to me, number one. So. The cover of the VHS box is always what drew you in in, you know, like, renting movies as a kid. And especially with horror movies. And the manhole cover, like, popping open with the chud coming out of it is, like, one of the most iconic, I think. Like, it's one Mm -hmm. of the ones that you immediately recognized. And it's a great cover because it tells you so much about the movie, like, just immediately with this one image. And... (laughs) I mean it's it's kind of goofy like it has a good sense of humor to it. I think um it's fun. I like the chud as like monsters. I I would think this I would call this a cult classic like I think it's considered a cult classic. I think I mean definitely like I can think of a number of things that have referenced chud. Specifically like the Simpsons have made references to chuds before and right. Um What is it, Us, the Jordan Peele movie Like Has a Chud VHS tape in it Like, so, I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess that he's kind of a fan of it I don't know, it's just To me, this is like one of the quintessential horror movies of the 1980s Like, I don't know The critic scores, if they're contemporaneous, whatever Like, I'll always understand that Because Especially for, like, okay So, it's not like some kind of searing indictment of the treatment of the homeless or the disposal of nuclear waste. I mean, those are like plot points in it, mm-hmm. but it's not, it doesn't overwhelm. It doesn't beat you over the head with like some kind of like idealistic, you know, like approach to like, Oh, we need to treat the homeless better or we need to, we're destroying the environment with like nuclear waste. Cause it's not about that. They're just like plot points. Right. So maybe I can see that from some perspective of like oh well like why didn't they you know these are important issues why didn't they use their platform to actually like make statements about it because they're not like he's not making a statement about either of those things right but who cares i mean like i don't know i the, the audience score is really perplexing to me because i don't know i don't know anyone that likes horror movies that doesn't enjoy chud
0: so do you want to know what the when i aggregated like what people were kind of saying yeah what I'm that pretty. is Okay so the first main thing is that It's way too slow That the pacing is like a snail's pace To get through this movie Right
1: I mean it it takes a while to get to the point Where like a lot of things start happening It definitely spends a lot of time Focusing on those characters And who those characters are Before it actually gets into it Do you think that pays off? Sure Them focusing on who those characters are I think it makes the characters memorable Like, one of the, in my opinion, one of the biggest complaints about horror from this time period, like, from the 70s on, up until probably Scream, really, is that you don't really have a whole lot of characterization in your horror movie protagonists. Like, it's mostly, they're mostly cookie cutter, you know, figures. Like, you've got a jock, or a cop, or... And they're all the same. And, like, building building a relationship between George and Lauren that they show in a completely domestic setting. Like, they show them interacting with each other just as two people that are in love with each other. Kind of makes you care about them a little more, like, as you're watching the movie. right? Like, agree, yeah. maybe that's not what people want in a horror movie, and I can understand that. But
0: I think it makes it, Shouldn't like, it be... a little more interesting. I mean speaking more philosophically about like the creation of horror movies or maybe movies in general is shouldn't that still be the thing? Sure. I mean, I think so. Well, I mean, the some- only way, uh, the only way the, you care about the heels. If like the hero is, um, somebody you care about.
1: Right. Believable and sympathetic. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this movie up again because one of my favorite horror movies ever, but one of the things that makes Hellraiser such a great movie is how much they invest in you knowing who those people are. Right. So that when the horrible things start happening to them, Mm -hmm. it's not just these random people that it's happening to, it's people that you've come over the course of the first 40 minutes of that movie to know. Right. You know, so, like, it makes the stakes higher. Like, you don't want to see Bosch die, you know what I mean? And, like, when he gets shot, like, it actually, like, oh, shit, that sucks. And you want to see like George and Lauren live and you want to see AJ live, you know, and you want to mm-hmm. see what's his name, Wilson or whatever, the bad guy. You want to see him like get it. Sure. Because even though the, the monsters, the chuds are like the, mon- like the creatures of the movie, like he's really the villain of the movie. Right. Because <clears throat> it's his fault that they exist and he's trying to like do this really dangerous thing that's going to threaten other people's lives just right. to save his own ass. I mean, it's, it definitely builds to that point where it actually, not gonna say it matters like this isn't like high cinema or anything but it, it like adds an element to it where you're actually kind of invested at the end of that movie. Mhm. <clears throat> I don't
0: know. I So, second okay. criticism is that it's not scary.
1: Eh, right. I mean How many horror movies are like really that scary when it comes down to it? I don't know. I don't know that Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not scary. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. Like, I think a, a horror movie... I think a movie can use horror elements, because this is more of like... This is more of a science fiction horror movie, I think, than like a straight horror movie.
0: Yeah, I'd say that's right.
1: Because it's more about the why, as opposed to just the what of the action. Sure. So I don't know how much it's like, I mean, there's definitely some tense and like scary moments. Like when she finds the chud downstairs, when she's trying to fix the drain or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, when the woman gets dragged into the sewer, like there's stuff that's, you know, like traditional horror. Sure. But again, it more, it is more about like, why are these things here? And like, why did this happen? And that's the story that they're
0: telling Right. Well, I mean, part of the true horror of it is that this could happen. Right. Well, that's... Yeah. Like, within that suspension of
1: disbelief. Sure. Right. Just like Night of the Comet. Like, it's the same idea that, like... It makes it... Because it's, you know, it's it's in a city. Like, it's not a set. Right. Those are, they film on, like, actual city streets yeah. and actual buildings. Right. So it feels like something that... It yeah. feels
0: more real, I guess, than... Well, I think one of the interesting things... there There's three themes throughout these five movies that I, I found interesting and this is probably the appropriate time to bring up one of them which is that um this is the second movie on the list that has to do with environmental issues right sort of the third if you kind of consider night of the comet being like uh, true true i mean but uh, that's even though it's of, not like a man-made right that's kind of extraterrestrial so i right. kind of just didn't count it but yeah uh, but it's like you know Toxy and, you know, uh, this are both kind of dealing with, um, you know, how, like, you know, the kind of chemicals we're using and the things we're right. like, you know, and how that's affecting the environment. And obviously it's these fantastic ways in which it's fe- affecting the environment, but obviously it has like a, a social commentary behind it. And um, I find that interesting that there's two of them in the same year on the same list of B-Horror movies that have that message behind them in some ways and well, it, it's it while, comes... while, while in 2019 i guess is why the thing i find it interesting is we're still arguing about the environment you and climate, climate change, change and like all these other things i mean you caps know, so and everything else like, here's the thing
1: like number one that's a common thread through horror from like the 40s yeah. on the whole like we're the real monsters we're creating sure. these things you know, you sure. got like Godzilla and them and plenty of movies even oh, yeah, like, it, go- it
0: goes back to Frankenstein I mean like
1: uh, you know Piranha the humanoids from the deep there's plenty of stuff around this time right. that has like similar ideas behind it what elevates so one of my favorite movies from this time period is a British horror thriller called Threads have you ever seen Threads it's the nuclear apocalypse one Sounds familiar to me. Where where Britain gets nuked and it basically shows you like days after the fallout and then like months after the fallout and like people getting mutated and dying from like radiation sickness and how it just destroys society. It's it's a pretty horrifying movie. Yeah. So very similar idea to Chud and Toxic Avenger in the sense that this is a man-made catastrophe that causes these terrible things and it's completely in our control to stop it or whatever. Right. Toxic Avenger and Chud are B-horror movies because they're not trying to beat you over the head with that ideology. Mm-hmm. It's there, and if you want to take it out of it, you right. can. Whereas like something like Threads is elevated to being, even though it's kind of low budget in the way that it's presented, like it's better because it's more about, it's not tongue-in-cheek at all. Like It's not done as like... Mm-hmm a movie that you're supposed to be entertained watching. You're supposed to be like affected and moved by watching. Right. Like they're not expecting you to be moved by watching Chud, but if you can take something from it, you know, that maybe we don't pay enough attention to the homeless, or maybe we should be more careful about how we dispose of nuclear waste. I mean, again, and I don't want to spoil what it is, but there's a movie that's going to come up in the next month or so. That's almost the exact same thing that's done in such a perfect way. That it doesn't have that commentary either. It's just a fun movie. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I don't think there's any problem, yeah.
0: and I don't mind it being slow. Like I think slow is a stupid complaint. Mm-hmm. So the last thing about this that was pretty common among a lot of different people was that the ending kind of sucked, or um, more particularly, was anticlimactic. I mean, they beat the guy. That's the true threat. That's the end of the movie. Don't you think it's probably people thinking that the that the the chud themselves are the villain of the movie, and that's really what should be defeated because they're the monster? Is that just then a misinterpretation or misreading of the movie itself? I think so. Think? I mean, I really think that the
1: overall theme of the movie is that it's this nefarious bureaucrat, basically, that's sure trying to cut corners and save his own ass that caused all this to happen. And is willing to, like, murder other people to, like, maintain a secret that's the villain. That's the guy that I think you want to see get his comeuppance. Like, not the poor homeless dude
0: that got mutated. I don't Which know. is why I think the actual environmental statement actually means more is because the real villain is the villain that actually ends up causing those things to happen. Right. But...
1: And who gets his comeuppance
0: in the sure. end. I mean, I don't know. I agree. That's the other critique. Yeah, I mean, Let's...
1: because it doesn't fall into the tropes of, like, a standard horror movie from this mm-hmm. time, you know.
0: Which that was, was that was less prevalent, but it's the other two that were the most yeah. prevalent. But that was still there. I, mean.
1: I just, I mean, I don't agree with it. I, right. I think Chud's an enjoyable movie to watch. Um, the reason it made this list is because I've, I've watched it in the past couple of years, just on my own, like before we even talked about the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like it came up free streaming somewhere, and I was like, oh, Chud, and I watched it, and I was really <clears throat> still entertained. You know, like I don't know. It's probably been 20 years before that since I watched Chud. I mean, I think I watched it at our friend Chuck's house. We rented it one night from like Blockbuster and watched it. And yeah. that might be the last time I'd seen it before then. But I'm, I I think
0: it's a fun movie. I'm trying to think if I had to rent Chud or not this time. I think it, I did. It's free somewhere. Is it? I don't yeah. know where. One of your 10,000 scripts. Who can tell? Yeah. It doesn't tell you what you're watching. I know Night of the Comet is on Prime right now. Right.
1: I'm pretty sure. Chud's on like Shudder or something like that. I think. Yeah, it
0: might be. But yeah, those were the three like main things. I I like Daniel. I thought Daniel Stern was really good in this. Yeah. For as someone who is commonly just thought of, I think most of the time as um, what, Harry from Home Alone. Is that right? Is he Harry? <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought he was really good in this. As a uh, he's a little younger, obviously, but it's like I th- I thought he was really good in this. I think John Hurd's character is really good in this. I think he I plays like it more. well. I even think Kim Greist is good in this, and I think it's interesting that it's like, what happened with her, do you think? Because she's not for, she's not terrible. Like, she, like, there's much worse actresses for these type of movies. Like, she actually does a pretty good job, I think, with the role that she's given. And there's something else that she was in. Well, she's in Brazil,
1: and she's in... Brazil, um, right. Man, Manhunter she's in, and... Mm-hmm.
0: Like she has a string of movies that are um, that are okay and that she's decent in, and then just kind of suddenly, oh, she was in. She's uh, Billy Crystal's girlfriend in Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> you would know that. What's um, that mean? mean? Oh, no, you're a big fan of Throw Mama from the Train. I am.
1: I don't mind it. You hate comedy movies so much. Yeah, comedy and sci-fi. Those are not my. They're not my friends.
0: I like some comedy movies a lot. Throw Mama from the Train's a good movie. <clears throat>
1: It could just be that, like, a lot of her appeal is based on her attractiveness, and so maybe she got older, yeah, she's like, a she model stopped it, roles. Maybe,
0: but it's just, yeah, it just stops. Like, I mean, she was still fairly young. I mean, she does some stuff later that's, like, shorts and stuff like that, but, you know, I don't know what happened there.
1: Yeah, I can't... I really, like, I've seen her Mama from the Train, obviously. I really can't think of anything after Manhunter.
0: Oh, she was in house guest so maybe that just killed everybody's career. That movie. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Sinbad Phil Hartman mm right yeah Mm -hmm. poor Phil Hartman yeah it's a
1: shame so
0: any final thoughts on this movie
1: no I mean I guess I I I think it's an enjoyable movie to watch I mean I
0: really like Judd a lot I do too I texted you I mean some of it was probably like my pretentiousness but I was pretty shocked I think like oh hey this is this holds up this is good because I haven't seen it since, like, 1991 or something like that, probably. Right. Like, I just... I don't...
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I like I like horror movies that try something different <laughs> than just being the run of the mill. True. One of the reasons why, like... Um, fuck. The Ian McShane movie. Now I can't even remember what it's called. Um, And Children of the Corn and stuff. Like, I think those are good movies. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's just, like... There's nothing special about them i guess i don't know Mm -hmm. like i think the chud is is interesting and
0: a little daring even though it's just like you know a bee monster movie basically i think growing up in a more rural area i think that uh chewing the corn for some reason affected me more but i mean it did when i was a kid i just Mm -hmm. i don't know okay so number one on your list Probably one of the more well-known movies out of any of these lists so far is a *Nightmare on Elm Street*, directed by Wes Craven, starring Robert Englund, Heather Langenkamp, uh, John Saxon, and a very young Johnny Depp, uh, I think in his first role, like major, like major role. I think that's right. Um, is a ninety-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and from critics and eighty-three percent from audiences. For those that don't know, you wanted to give them a little bit of background about. Nightmare on Elm Street and explain to them what you like so much
1: so these teenagers in um, the town of Springwood um, are having these shared dreams where they're being attacked by this disfigured man with you know blades fixed to his fingers Um, one of them ends up dead Tina um, and her boyfriend gets blamed for it Uh, despite the fact that he says he's innocent. Um, There's... It's eventually revealed that basically this guy was murdered by the parents of the town, burned alive, um, and has somehow, like, been able to keep himself alive in dreams where he's attacking their children as revenge for his own death. Um, I think that... I don't know. I mean, I think pretty much everyone is at least familiar with the character of Freddy Krueger. Um, I would say arguably the most iconic horror villain like ever next to Jason Voorhees, at least in terms of like being like omnipresent in television. And, you know, I mean, he was like, like super popular in the mid 80s and They made action figures and used video games, and yeah. like you just always like you had a TV, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show. Um, I went
0: to third grade, um, the Halloween party like thing at school as Freddy Krueger in third grade. My mom like found me like a sweater of like the appropriate colors <laughs> and like bought the fake like toy because they made toys of those claws like. Which is crazy when you think about it now, like, that they made them for children, like, right. Freddy's claw was I made one for too. kids, like, um, but my mom found me a nice hat and I got the Freddy mask and everything, right. and
1: that's, you know, and I was probably, I was probably around that age when I saw Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. for the first time, like, I would say the oldest I might have been was, like, nine or ten, yeah, um, but I knew who Freddy
0: was, like, Yeah, so you have to think, I I had seen this by that point, so like, I was seven, and I had already seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's pretty young to see that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, so,
1: to me, the importance of Nightmare on Elm Street, and like, why it's number one, and honestly, one of my favorite horror movies of all time, Mm -hmm. um, spawned a very uneven series of films uh that even to this day i can not remember what's the last freddy there dead. was that remake there's Night- a re- yeah the nightmare on Elm street well after freddy's dead is the new nightmare right and then freddy versus jason right
0: and then there is the remake in 2010
1: yeah which is really bad
0: really bad I, which uh, i bad, never i never seen that until a couple weeks ago and it's really bad
1: bad because it completely misses the point of what makes Freddy Krueger, a great villain, and what makes that first movie, like, a good movie. Yes. Um, So, Wes Craven, while not, like, a perfect director, is one of the best horror directors of all time. Just because he understands that something being horrific is just as much about the psychology of why it's horrific, as much as it is about showing you the thing that you should be scared of. Right. Like, it's not just scary you know, for Freddy to, like, slash somebody with his claws or whatever. It's more about, like, the psychology behind these kids, like, forcing themselves to stay awake, you know, for long periods of time. The fact that if, like, you just give in to your natural bodily needs that you could be killed. Um, The idea that it's the children paying for the sins of the parents. Like, all of it is a very, it's very complex and told in a way that's very, it's very smooth, it's very simple, it doesn't get bogged down in its own mythology too much. Mm-hmm. But it's really good in the way that it presents that mythology so that you learn it. And then, one of the biggest failings of this franchise is after the third one, and the fourth one is okay. But um, I know the fourth one's not that great. That's Dream Master, right? Yeah. 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 After After Dream Warriors, it gets way too bogged down, and like Freddy almost becoming... I wouldn't call him the hero, but almost the anti-hero. Like, yeah. it's more about the set pieces of Freddy like killing people in like more and more crazy ways, right? And making his one-liners mm-hmm. more than it is about the idea of like, you know, what Craven builds in this first movie, right? And they kind of come back to that. Like, new New Nightmare is it's fine. Is no, I, I I really like New Nightmare yeah, a lot. I think it's good. Um, I like the fourth wall breaking of New Nightmare a lot. Sure. Um, but. Really good performances by the kids in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about this last week, like, off air, but very naturalistic. It feels like they feel like real people. Like, again, this is my point about Chud, is that here's characters that feel like they're actual people living in a world. And, like, it's built to that point where, like, you know these characters So that when bad things happen to them, like it actually kind of matters that bad things are happening to them. And it's the fact that they're children, you know, they're teenagers in high school and that they're already, and maybe this is like the point, but they're already dealing with like puberty and hormones and emotions. Mm -hmm. And then they have this like compounded on it and just the stress of like, like high school. Mm -hmm.
0: And this is a thing that can kill them. Um, Like you said, they're real people and they actually feel like they're just like. They're just kids that are living their lives. Where it's like that damn remake makes those kids all so dour. Right. Like everybody's so sad and like lacking personality. And it's like Johnny Depp in this movie, for his, like, you know, as young as he is or whatever, and like the, hasn't been acting hardly at all, it just feels like this normal kid next door who is dating this girl and. He's kind of a bozo, like right. she wants him to stay awake and he can't stay awake. <laughs> and I mean, it's it, like, he just, it feels like real people. And I, 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 I agree with you. I think that's really important. It's yeah. also, and it, it Robert England does such a good job mm-hmm. of like
1: investing so much menace and personality yeah. long before, you know, I got the brains, you got the brawn or whatever. Like, sure. Just sure. The way he cocks his shoulder, like with the gloved hand, the way it's like kind of droops a little bit on Mm -hmm. that side, like the tilt of his hips, the way like he turns his head and stuff like it's Mm -hmm. very menacing and very legitimately scary when you're young and see it Mm -hmm. for the first time. And the fact that, you know, the ultimate thing that's powering him is the fear of his victims. And then when you're not afraid of him, like, he doesn't have that power over you, like, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's a pretty cool ending to the movie. Like, it's not, well, you know, pseudo-ending to the movie. Like, right. it's not about them necessarily, like, fighting him or beating him, which is how the later movies get really bogged down. Mm-hmm. It's, like, them all trying to find this way to, right, like, these supernatural, mystical ways to kill yeah. Freddy Krueger. Which
0: is cool in Dream Warriors. Right, well, Dream, dream Warriors... Because it's the first time it really really kind of happens where where people come together but dream warriors is dream warriors in this one
1: are 1a 1b right like i i love dream Warriors. i think it's a fantastic movie yeah um i even like the second one even though it's really weird like i i still think it's a it's an okay movie um and i like freddy's dead quite a bit like i aside from like the dream sperm at the end um, which is really like awkward. I like,
0: saw. Yep, I was uh, 3D in the theater. Yeah, man, I, I saw those. I saw my glasses actually.
1: Really? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, no. They're in a. <laughs> they're in a box of stuff from high school. Like it's gotcha. they're folded inside a book. I found them yeah. like a couple months ago and was really surprised. I thought it was
0: had like some kind of valuable find, and then I looked yeah. them up online, and you can buy them for like three dollars. I do not like to at all. Like I'm not a fan of two. I want to say Jamie Lunar is topless in that if I remember as a child um when I cared about those things in the second I think so yeah I don't remember any female nudity in the second one yeah there is it's so homoerotic they 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 cut they definitely I mean they cut all of it obviously for like USA and stuff like that right yeah but the first movie is just so
1: you know like and I you and I will argue about this forever like I enjoy the Friday the 13th movies Mm mm-hmm But Jason's just a force of nature. Right. Like, there's no real personality to Jason. Mm -hmm. And favorite movie of all time, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Leatherface after the first movie is just kind of a joke. But, like, Freddy in this first movie is just such a great, memorable, like, immediately recognizable villain. Mm -hmm. And even, like, now, like, you see someone wearing, like, a whatever green and red stripe sweater and, like, that's what you think. You know, somebody wearing, like, a fedora. Like, that's what I think is Freddy Krueger. Right.
0: I really love the dreamlike elements in the movie of things like Freddy's arms, like, being elongated, like, in that alleyway or whatever. Like, where it's, like, they're just super long for no reason. Like, like I like that image. That's actually one of the
1: scariest. I don't know why, but, like, when I was a kid, like, that was one of the scariest things to me. Sure. Was that, like, maybe it's the idea that, like, you're never out of his reach or something like that. That that's kind There's of like... There's
0: that, like, right. It's like he can transform himself. He can transform whatever he wants. Yeah. But it's like that, and I also think it's a really cool special effect, this other thing too, but it's like the idea that the, uh, like the, the way the stairs turn into like, like she starts sinking as she's right. running up the stairs. Like those are like the kind of like shit that like happens in dreams at times that I think are like fantastic. Um, well, again, and I think that's, that goes a long way towards
1: like Wes Craven just being a very talented director mm-hmm. and kind of being in his prime at this point. Yeah. I mean, aside from Last House on the Left, like I really enjoy
0: Wes Craven's horror movies. Mm. By and large, like all of them I, I like a lot. And I think Last House on the Left, even though I don't like it, is extremely uncomfortable, which oh, right, I will it's give It's a, a super effective yeah.
1: movie. It's just I'm not a huge
0: fan of the yeah. rape revenge. Sure. Um, I want to ask you about freddy's like the the makeup because the the remake tried to make it more realistic as a burn victim and i thought it was less effective the the realism behind the burns as opposed to the way that england's made up right i agree with it because to me it's like the original is more dreamlike of a burn victim as opposed to well because he's not a burn victim he's a monster right
1: like Maybe He, so. he I, looks like that because that's how he died, but then it's, like, hyper-stylized. Right. Like, he's got these big, bright, like, mm-hmm. aware eyes, you know? Like, it's these mm-hmm. two, like, white orbs in his head and his giant smile, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's... It's meant to be cartoony, but cartoony in a really, like,
0: dark and twisted way. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um... The remake is so bad <laughs> It's really bad I, the, the thing that's the worst about the remake Besides all these There's so many things that are bad about it It's terrible um, But I think the worst thing is that And it's, it's it's what Craven decided not to do in this original Which was In the original idea for the script That he was shopping around Before somebody actually allowed him to make it Is Freddy Krueger was a child molester In the original script. And because of some stuff that was going on in L.A. at the time, it was decided, hey, let's just make him a child killer. As opposed to a child molester. And I think he does a really good job of still insinuating that Freddy Krueger is a child molester on top of a child killer by doing... Actually, it makes him more creative, like most things does. Almost like the Hays Code back in the day made people more creative at times. Is... He had thing, things like the that iconic uh, bathtub scene, right? Where Freddy's claw comes up like between her legs in the bathtub, and it's like there's things like that or that are spread throughout the movie that certainly insinuate there's a sexuality to the Freddy Krueger character in terms of right because he's not it. it so again like
1: reason I love the Hellraiser the, Hellraise the first one and the second one so much is that it is about like there's a live like cat, like nimbleness to Freddy Krueger. Like Mm -hmm. he is like slinky and creepy and pinhead is like similar in the sense that whereas like Jason's like this lumbering, you know, again, like it's a force of nature versus like psychologically this man that was murdered by these people because they felt like the justice system failed them and is now back to get revenge on those same people. I mean, that's, right. I don't know. But so, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it being like, cause later there's later in the nightmare on Elm street series, there are more references to him being like, sure. And really they never, it's never as blatant as it is in the remake. I don't think, although it is definitely touched upon and there's some really uncomfortable stuff
0: yeah they do eventually i remember get into more of that like in the original series i can't can't remember if that's freddy's dead or a new nightmare i think it's freddy's dead i believe is like where more that comes where she's in the
1: basement when he's like in the past when he's still alive yeah and like has his like his weapons like his knives is over there and his glove is like there's several gloves i think yeah i think that's new i think that's freddy's dead i think it's freddy's dead yeah but
0: that implies a lot more. It does, you know. But I don't but know. but the but the remake. What it does is like the one of the main thrusts of the story is w- who is Freddie? Like they're getting bogged down in that mythology, and it le- eventually leads them to the finding out that everybody that he's killing was molested by Freddie in the remake. And to me, that the real life horror of like a guy molesting an entire preschool full of children is so much worse than the supernatural horror right. of him being in their dreams. Right. And it like just overshadows the main thrust of the movie, which is the supernatural horror of this monster trying to kill people in your dreams. So like it made that whole thing kind of pointless to me. I it, it was so just it's, every every move was wrong almost in it that is remake. very So a a couple other things I want to bring up to you about this, because a couple more themes, like another theme that runs through this, with the exception of Company of Wolves, is we suddenly see, we've mentioned it with almost all of these, this idea of tongue in cheek, right, is in all of these movies to some degree, and that's becoming, it seems, more prevalent during this time period a little bit more to me of like, it, it's not their comedies necessarily, but they're certainly, they have a sense of humor about themselves at times. Even if that humor like this one is dark, it's still a sense of humor to right. some degree. And do you think that is, why do you think that is necessarily? Is that to? do you think people are trying to cut the hard? Do you think they're trying to? So I, I don't
1: know that, there's definitely some horror movies that do not have any comedy. That they don't give you any kind of like respite from what you're watching. But I think the best horror movies will always give you a break from just being like inundated with terrible images. Like they have to. Right. Because otherwise it just becomes... So you think it's like acts like a palate cleanser then? Kinda. So is- one of my least favorite series is um Japanese series called Guinea Pig, which is nothing but just like graphically horrific murder and torture and mutilation and just terrible, terrible movies. Um, And I used to like those movies when I was a kid because they are like really effective in the sense that the way their visual effects are done. But they're not good movies and there's nothing... You don't, you don't gain anything from them by watching them. Like, you feel worse about yourself after you've watched them. And I think that adding, like, humanity to a horror movie, like, if it's humor or character development or anything, you still get the visceral thrill of, like, the scare of it. Like, seeing someone die, but you're not beat over the head with just the, and honestly, like, one of my favorite movies of all time, you know, Henry portrait of a serial killer, like that movie will like beat you down. Like you feel that movie after you're done watching it. And there is like the humor in that movie is the humor at your expense. And it's from the killers themselves. And it's a fantastic movie, like a classic Mm -hmm. in my opinion, but you can't just sit there and like, Oh, I'm just, I'm going to put Henry in and watch Henry. You know what I mean? Like, but nightmare on Elm street, like you can sit down and watch nightmare on Elm street, you know? And I think it's because, like, it, it gives you moments where you can kind of, like, rest your your nerves or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. Maybe no, that's agree. why. Yeah, okay.
0: Um the, the last theme that I saw, the, the third of uh, this list, um, a little bit in Company of Wolves, I suppose, with the with with female protagonist. But certainly in Night of the Comet and now in a Nightmare on Elm Street, right. we have strong female protagonists with um, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart and Heather Langenkamp. Um, Why do you Why would you think I guess like That's becoming more prevalent Around this time uh, Craven, period Craven's pretty progressive like he
1: Hills Have Eyes has strong female Characters um, Last House on the Left has strong Female characters I just I, I think he's just kind of a progressive Guy hmm. And I think that it sort of Again, that idea of, like, subverting your expectations as the viewer. Like, oh, well, it's the girl this time that's, Mm -hmm. you know, the one that is going to beat them. Like, that's,
0: I don't know. Yeah. I I just thought it was interesting. that
1: A lot of these guys are, you know, they come from, like, the counterculture era of, like, the 60s. So, you know, a lot of, a lot, and this is just me talking out of my ass. I don't know how true this is, but I feel like a lot of this stuff from this time period like the cinema of the 70s that then informs and leads to this these movies is a direct counter reaction to stuff like John Wayne you know what i mean and Spencer Tracy and like the typical feeling of like these larger than life strong male leads you know that they were subverting that a little bit sure and still trying to make a buck because you know that's why Mm. they're making these movies is to turn a profit but like sort of putting their own you know kind of counterculture spin i think on on those things
0: maybe i don't know i i think that's probably not inaccurate it's very i mean that's that's a a, very boomer thing to do i mean one of the reasons why i love the 70s so
1: much is like a genre or it's like a decade because it is kind of like a counter-reaction. Like, even in the stuff like the Eastwood Westerns and shit, like, um, like High Plains Drifter and um, I don't know, whatever was in the 70s. um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, not that's Clint Eastwood. But, like, yeah. it's these ideas that we're going to take this classic formula but change things about it to make it more appealing to this more enlightened generation. That then turns around and, like, you know, fed us Lucky Charms and sat us in front of the Nintendo and
0: mm. like tried
1: to like change us back the I don't know.
0: Right. <laughs> so yeah, I um yeah, and I think that's something we probably still see more of in the nineteen eighties is female heroines a lot more. Yeah, Um <clears throat> Adventures in Babysitting is a good example. Of, oh sure, if we go beyond horror, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, and there's that, a lot we of definitely really see, like yo, yeah, yeah, female yeah. protagonists in yeah, the nineteen eighties. Absolutely, which is
1: good. I mean, it's refreshing that it's yeah. not a damsel in distress, you know, that the damsel can be the one saving. Yeah. I mean, even Marion Ravenwood and, um, yeah, is a strong independent character in her own right. Right. And again, I think that comes from these guys that were in film school and were cutting their teeth under Roger Corman, who was very progressive as well, even though like he made his bones on like boobs and boobs and monsters, like was certainly open to, letting people experiment and letting people try different things and sort of led into that like indie revolution in the seventies and eighties that kind of got co-opted into like just super commercial films. But even then those directors came from like the indies, you know, they came from like the grindhouse D list, like cinema, you know, like churning out these movies that they applied those sensibilities to big budgets. And that's why I think, a lot of those movies from this time period are so enduring, like even beyond the horror genre, like why you can sit down and watch back to the future or Goonies or I don't know, even something like romancing the stone or whatever, and still like enjoy it right now is because they had, you know, like a more independent mindset when applying it to bigger
0: budget movies. Hmm. And what do I know? I don't know. It's just trying to, that makes perfect sense. I, I was just trying to see if there was any, valid criticism here or anything that we haven't discussed. Um I mean, you can imagine like the actual criticism of this movie. Mm. It's like just about it being too bloody and all those kind of things. And I'll sure. yeah, um, skip that. It does make the People magazine does make one point that I'll bring up and then we can um probably call it quits on this movie, but Claims that Craven is somewhat of a generational turncoat while he's. Oh, he's 35 when he makes it. Okay. So while he's 35, all of his adult characters have the intelligence and courage of cantaloupes. Um, and he talks about specifically about the Saxon character kind Wait. of, um, you know, being half asleep throughout the movie and then, um, you know, just an asshole and then. Uh, Saxon's ex-wife being an alcoholic and like none of the adults really believing in the kids or anything like that. And then of course covering up their own crimes and that kind of stuff. Um, but I wonder if maybe that isn't more of a criticism of like the greatest generation, like the summer of love boomers, like these people who were like, isn't it just the fact that like, it's just when he's making the movie Probably, maybe. Like, isn't that the criticism the boomers have? Like, which Craven would fall in that category of a boomer? Right. I guess. Um. So. Isn't that just the criticism they had of the? Well, maybe the Depression era generation, generation, the greatest right, generation. Maybe it's the generation
1: before that. that yeah, years. I
0: think the, the question of you know that they that they had. I mean, one of the things that the boomers condemned them for is that, like, you know, oh, they were so great, except for you still had tons of institutional racism you had you know all this and this and this and this going on um and it's like i just think it's craven
1: that's possible
0: like just it just so happens in 1980s like the 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 adult characters would be boomers but really he's just still criticizing the idea of the older generation always having these things in their closet that they're hiding I mean, I maybe I just think it's. I mean, I would think that Z would sit there and say the same thing about us now. I mean, it's always. I think it's. I think it goes beyond just generations here with what Craven's doing. I think is what so. I'm saying. Is like the older generations always like has hypocritical things about them. Like so, yes. While I'm saying like while you and I like a, being Xers are we're more progressive i think in a lot of ways and different things than the boomers were when it came to sexuality and race right. and like all these other things i think there's z right now it's going to be criticizing us if they aren't already in another 10 years that how we're not progressive enough on these other issues and how we were hypocrites and we allowed these things to happen or talked in certain ways that you know was unequal and you know, I mean, mean-spirited I, and all that I, I stuff. I can't remember,
1: because there, there's a really good documentary called Never Sleep Again that's about the Nightmare on Elm Street series, mm-hmm. and it, it deals for a long time with this first movie. Mm-hmm. And I really can't remember what he said about it, but honestly, to me, it, it's just kind of the Pied Piper story. You know what I mean? It's like, now yeah. it's it's done in a different way because it's supposed to be like more horrific, but right. it's these the parents did a thing to try and protect their children. Sure. And because they didn't have the courage of their convictions to do it the right way, it led to their children being taken from them. I mean, that's just... It's it's a... Sure. An old, like, you know, fairy tale. Right, it's an old story. Chestnut or whatever, so... It's not a new story. Anyway, it's a great movie. If you've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't know,
0: maybe you just don't like horror movies at all, but (laughs) you should watch it. Yeah. Watch it again if you've seen it before. Yeah, that's good. It holds up. Holds up better than I ever thought it would, maybe.
1: One of my... It's 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 top twenty, I think. Yeah. All time, I, I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah.
0: Okay, so um, that's it for this evening. We are uh, gonna be back here in two weeks on the four June June the fourteenth with the top docudramas list, and uh, then we will be uh doing a kind of third man slash first watch slash something I don't uh, that's right uh, where we're going to be watching the Big Sleep and then um. We'll be back with the uh, B-Horror Movies list at the end of June for 1985. So thank you for listening, everybody, and have a great weekend. Have a great night. Thank you.